0: welcome to sunday sermons from trinity umc in lincoln a podcast to help on the faith journey now on to this week's message from pastor jeff slater This week we're uh, continuing a series, the second week of it, called Hope, Simply Enough, Hope. And it is uh, uh, looking for hope. uh, uh, We find so much of it in the Bible, but it comes to us in a different way at different times in the Bible. And so this uh, series is looking at the different portions of Scripture and asking how God's hope came in each of them. And I want to give thanks to uh, Church of the Resurrection and Adam Hamilton for first putting this series together and doing some of the research and providing the graphics. Uh, always uh, nice to have that as well, beautiful spring images too. Last week we looked at the Psalms and we looked at how God works through those and today we're going to look at the prophets. And one of the, uh, one, one of the uh, uh, lessons we're going to learn today is about what God's plan really means. What does it mean for God to have a plan? And I will tell you, I wrote at the top of my notes here: find a story of something not going according to plan. You know what? Things have been going pretty well lately. You know, we're beginning to emerge from a pandemic. Every every story I could think of about things not going according to plan was a year ago. Things are at least improving in our world. That's good. Maybe some of you who are in person uh, had plans to drive a certain way to church this morning, and the marathon messed that up. That's pretty likely, actually. But we all know that experience, right? Uh, and it, it, it disorients us. It puts us into a kind of a, a, an off-base position when we think we know what we're going to do and then it doesn't happen, especially if you're my type of personality who likes to have a solid plan. You know, last week uh, in the Psalms, we talked about a, a way of thinking about the Psalms from a scholar named Walter Brueggemann, that there are times of our life where we're oriented and everything is good. And in these seasons of orientation, we know what we're doing. It feels like we're on solid ground. Excuse me, allergies beginning to bloom, I think. Uh, Then there are also seasons of disorientation in life where we don't know where we are. We sang part of Psalm 40 that uh, that, that talks about uh, being in the miry clay. Now think about what it feels like when you push clay if you've ever worked with it. Like it feels solid at first, but then as your fingers sink in, you realize it's not. Can you imagine standing on miry clay? That's what disorientation is like. That's the, that season of our life, and that's a big part of where the prophets speak. They speak during the seasons, of disorientation where the ground is unlevel and slidy beneath our feet. Is slidy a word? It is now. But of course, Psalm 40 also talks about how God lifted us up out of the miry clay and set us on solid ground. That's reorientation, when we can say that God has delivered us. And that's what the prophets look toward. Now, the prophets in the Bible. There are a bunch of books, and in fact, if you've ever been sent to look up a Scripture and uh, you realize it's in one of the skinny books in the Old Testament, it was probably one of the minor prophets. (laughs) You know, we have the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, so named not because they're more important, but because the books are longer, and the minor prophets, and there are 12 of them, I believe. Uh, And… Uh, They're shorter in length, but not in terms of importance and what they have to say. The call to worship was from Joel this morning. That's one of those minor prophets, and it's a huge chunk of the Bible that almost all of it, maybe even every bit of it, refers back to the same historical happening. And it, it, it uh, it is amazing to me how long it took me in life to learn that. And I figure there are others out here, out there who don't know it either. So I wanna tell you about that big historical happening because once you understand it, it opens up a lot of what the prophets are saying. So Judah, which is the kingdom that's descendant from the Israelites and all that, that we're following the, uh, the story of throughout all of the Old Testament, is a tiny kingdom size-wise, but it's on very good land. It's, it's uh, fertile, and it's also right on trade routes, which means a lot of money passes through it. And it seems like throughout their history, other nations want a piece of that. They want to get in there, and they want to uh, conquer them so that they can be on the trade route, so that they can have access to that wealth. And in this period, they are caught between a rock and a hard place, Egypt and Babylon. Both of them very large kingdoms and very powerful kingdoms, much bigger and more powerful than Judah. In fact, it's amazing that they uh, stood for so long. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, is perhaps the most powerful king who's ever lived. Uh, And you can imagine that he is one who wanted a piece of that valuable land upon which Judah stood. And so, Nebuchadnezzar goes to Jerusalem, and he declares that he's in charge now. Now, he wants to do this peacefully, one can only assume, or at the very least, he doesn't want his own people killed. Uh, Perhaps he doesn't care so much about the Judeans. Uh, But, he allows the king to continue as his subordinate but Nebu- he's, 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 uh, he's going to be second in command in Judea now to Nebuchadnezzar, and that means paying tributes like taxes, paying some of that money and wealth up to Nebuchadnezzar and to Babylon. And, and to uh, cement his authority, he goes to the temple and he takes some of the, some of the items out of it and takes them back to, uh, to uh, Babylon as a way of saying, yeah, I really am in charge now. Now, you have to remember that today we have have a good and correct sense that God is with us wherever we go. But at this time, it was firmly believed that God's presence was in the temple. That's where God lived. If you wanted to talk to God, well, he's not going to hear you unless you go to the temple because that's where he is, right? And so for Nebuchadnezzar to take items out of the temple, that was a little unnerving. All right, so this goes on for a while. People chafe against this, uh, Nebuchadnezzar being in charge and taking things from the temple. And so they start to look to Egypt, the other powerful nation. Now you can already sense the political tension here, right? They say, well, maybe Egypt can be our saviors, ironically, concerning the slavery in generations past, right? Uh, but this, they continue to live this way in this tension for a while. Nebuchadnezzar takes four four, um, uh, advisors uh, back to him, back to Babylon with him to force them to be his his advisors. And I'll bet you, you recognize the names. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, those are good Sunday school story names, right? We're going to tell more of their story here in just a minute. But this is where their story begins, forced to be advisors for Nebuchadnezzar. In 598 BCE, before Christ, the Jews rebel against Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar sends a small army. They had underestimated just how strong he was. He sends a small army, he plunders the temple, and he takes the king and 10,000 Judeans back to Babylon with him. Now, this isn't genocide because genocide would be killing another culture, right? This is assimilating them. He wants to take those 10,000 people away, and it's the leaders. He figures, if I take them uh, in a generation, they'll be part of us. There will be no more Judea to be, to, 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 to be part of us. We will just assume it. And so he takes 10,000 of the leaders. This includes the prophet Ezekiel, if you've read some of him, who helps them make sense of what's going on in, Israel, in, in exile. The prophet Jeremiah, who has been predicting something like this would happen for a while and warning them that they need to be ready, uh, he now shifts to the reality of things. And he says to the 10,000 people in exile that you're going to be there for a long time. Now, that's hard to hear when something bad starts to happen in your life, right? You remember when the pandemic began and we were all like, oh, you know, it'll just be a few weeks and then it'll blow over. And then we were... Well, it'll be a few months and then it will blow over. (laughs) No, Jeremiah told the truth right then with his exile. It's going to be a while. And if all you do is think about going home, you're going to go crazy. So instead, you need to make peace with the, the fact that this is how it's going to be, that it's going to be hard for a while. It's not going to last forever, but it is going to be hard for a while. And instead, you need to bless the land in which you find yourself you need to find a way to be a blessing even amidst the hard times they didn't listen we we never do do we and after nine or ten years the the judeans in jerusalem rebelled again and this time nebuchadnezzar sent his entire army this time, he didn't plunder the temple, the place where God is by their understanding, right? This time, he destroys it. He, he lets it burn. He killed the king's son, his heir, so that there would be no more royal family. And, gosh, I, I, I didn't say this out loud for service, but I'll just tell you how ugly it got. He, got. he made the king watch him kill his son and gouged out his eyes so it would be the last thing that he would ever see. All hope is lost. No king, no army, no temple, no hope. Dark days, indeed, right? Makes our struggle look like nothing. And so, I want to ask the question that may seem a little obvious at this point. Why does so much of the Bible refer back to this? Why does so much of the Bible refer back to the Babylonian exile? Well, at first, it was the trauma of it all, right? They're just trying to make sense of what happened. Uh, You may not know it, but most of the Old Testament was actually put into its current form, the form we have today, while they were in Babylon. It was their attempt to save the faith. These stories that had been passed around verbally from uh, father to son, from mother to daughter, from grandparent to grandchild this was their attempt to write them down during this time so that they wouldn't be lost while they were in exile living amongst a different people Uh, and they naturally talked about why they were doing it about why it was coming together this is the reality that they lived in it's like the fact that we can't say anything with talking about the pandemic these days right it's simply too big a part of our lives at the moment not to But the interesting part is that they keep talking about it even after that. And I think the reason is because even afterwards, people could see themselves in this story. You know, everyone has been in a place where life has fallen apart. You know, we look at the history and the words of the prophets and we see ourselves. We've had struggles as a people, a public struggles, uh, things like wars, World War II and Vietnam especially, uh, the Great Depression, the Great Recession, and now, of course, the pandemic, even worse for minorities and for the poor, and this one truly global too, especially when you consider India and South America right now, which I do hope you're praying for. But we've also had private struggles. We've lost people that we're close to in our own lives. Private struggles like sickness or unemployment or divorce. Do they not feel like exile? Do they not feel like we've been removed from the life and the comfort and the firm foundation that we knew or at least we thought we knew? They're nothing compared to the Babylonian exile. But still the words of the prophets speak to us in our disorientation today. And so, boy, there's unlimited lessons you could draw from this. But I want to lift up three that stand out to me today. First is this. Bad stuff will happen, but God will be there. You know, that's the honesty portion. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think that God, that if we're faithful enough, God will shield us from struggle. But that's not what we see. You know, when we think that God will shield us from struggle, then we're dismayed when that doesn't happen, when problems come. And we start to doubt and we start to wonder if God is really there. That's very natural to do, by the way, but that's not what we see in the prophets. You know, think about Daniel, one of the advisors that was taken with the 10,000 into exile at first. You know, he, uh, he, uh, you, I'm sure you remember his story uh, from Sunday school and from elsewhere, but he refused to stop praying to God even when Nebuchadnezzar ordered him to do so. And so what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He threw him to the lions, literally. He put them into the lion's den knowing that he would be eaten. But what happened? Nothing. (laughs) So what what, what do we make of that? Were the lions not hungry that day? Nah, chances are these were hungry lions. That's the whole point of the lion pit, right? Uh, No. The truth is, God was with him. Daniel was still put into the lion's pit. but But God was with him. The other advisors had a similar story, a very similar story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, In their case, there was an idol that Nebuchadnezzar said, an idol of him, Nebuchadnezzar, that he said that everybody needed to bow down to, to acknowledge that he was king and that he was a god, with a lowercase g. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to it over God. And so, Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the furnace. And he orders it heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, seven is a symbolic number. The point is, they made this furnace as hot as it could go. And the Scripture even tells us that the guards who took them to the furnace and put them in there died themselves just from being that close to it. That's how hot it was. But when Nebuchadnezzar looks in the window or whatever apparatus they had to see inside, what does he see? I'm going to read this one to you. He replied, look, I see four men unbound and walking around inside the fire and they aren't hurt. And the fourth one looks like one of the gods. Did God spare Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did he spare them having to go into the furnace? No, he didn't. But he was with them while they were there. Bad stuff will happen, but God will be there when it does. The second lesson I want to draw is this. It's about God's plan, and that is that God's plan isn't so much about the details as about love and presence. You know, one passage from the prophet Jeremiah that you oftentimes hear quoted, it's a memory verse for a lot of people. You see it in needlepoint, and rightly so, by the way, but sometimes we understand it wrong. It says this, I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not for disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. Now, I know when I first saw that passage, I thought that meant God has planned out every little bit of my life, every step I'm going to take. The more I live, the more I see. That's not the case. You know, the things, the bad things that we see happen in the times of the prophets, those were not God's first choice for them. If God had a plan, it's clear it was not that. Instead, God's plan was that he would be there no matter what that no matter what happened, that no matter what choices people made, whether they be good choices or bad choices, whether it be the apples from Adam and Eve and and Patty early, remember those? Whether it be choices that we make for ourselves or whether it be choices that others make and impose upon us, God has given us the freedom to be co-creators in this world. I don't think he plans every jot and tittle of what's going to happen. But what he is going to do is be with us no matter what. That is God's plan. And if you read the rest of the passage, you see it. And in the meantime, the words of the prophet bring us comfort. They bring us comfort for those times of distress too. We have lots of musicians in this church, and I'll bet uh, many of you know uh, Handel's Messiah. And one of the most famous arias, I think it's an aria, whatever it is, is uh, absolutely beautiful. It's one of my personal favorites, and that is, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. God's promise is that if we look for God, even in the midst of our trials, that's when God will be there, and that's when God will raise us up. Isaiah 40 says this beautifully. It's one of the passages that McKenna read for us earlier. Youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble, right? Even the youngest among us are not strong enough. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. Each week during this series, we're giving you a gift of a a wallpaper for your phone or tablet or computer or whatever that you can put on there to remind you through the week. And at first, I I thought we'd try this. You know, it's a little bit gimmicky. I, I figured, oh, I'll bet only one or two do it. No, a bunch of you have. A bunch of you have told me that you've been using those wallpapers. And this week's is this. It's that passage from Isaiah 40. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up like wings, mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. That's God's promise that no matter what happens, he will raise us up from it. That is God's plan. And if you get the early Sunday morning email, the wallpapers are in there and we'll put it on our, on our social media afterwards too. If you have trouble with it, let us know and we'll make sure that you get, uh, get, get a copy. The third lesson is this, God's deliverance happens gradually and works through people. You know, last week we talked about how the Hebrew word for hope also means wait. Now it seems a strange pairing at first that the same word would mean hope and wait, but hope is always about the future. It's always about knowing that God has good planned for your future and so that also means waiting for it hoping requires waiting we live in a very very fast day and age and waiting is not our forte i can pull up wikipedia on this phone faster than any of you i'll bet i am the fastest draw with wikipedia in the west And you know, we all get annoyed when Amazon Prime is slower than two days. <laughs> you, a lot of you have been there, haven't you? That took three days. What's going on with that? You know, and it was unnerving. A year ago when the pandemic was first starting and Amazon took a couple weeks, it, it was truly unnerving. Waiting is not our forte. But God, through the prophets, tells Judah in exile to settle in because it's going to be a while. He tells them to make peace with their difficult situation that it will go away, but if you can't make peace with the lot in which you find yourself, you're going to go crazy and you're going to miss out on some of what God is doing. And deliverance usually doesn't come through some kind of miracle. Oh, there are times God parts the Red Sea. There are times God does the miraculous, but usually it's simpler than that. God working through ordinary people God even became a person in Jesus. For the greatest act of deliverance imaginable, the empty tomb and the cross that led to it, even that was done through human flesh. You know, the African American slaves—they were—they uh, they were always drawn to the prophets during their time of greatest suffering during slavery. It helped them to sing spirituals, and so many of the spirituals were about the prophets. They would sing, uh, they would. They realized that just like the Babylonian exile, that I may not be the one who will be freed, they would say. It may be my children or my children's children, but I know that God sees the injustice and will deliver us. Now, there are still prophets in the world today, Uh, in fact, there are many. It's not just something that God did during uh, Bible times, there are still those among us who preach this message of warning when we're comfort and this… warning when we're comfortable and uh, uh, preach us that message of comfort and God's redemption when we're not. And my mind always goes first to Martin Luther King Jr., even though there are many examples of those who are still alive. Martin Luther King Jr. was very much a modern prophet. Uh, He he saw that life and opportunities were still not equal for African Americans. And in his last speech before his assassination, he called back to the prophet Moses. He called all the way back to Moses. You see, Moses had wandered the desert with the Israelites. He had gone through the long period with them. But God had told him that he would… God had told Moses that he would get to see the Promised Land but that he was not the one who would be able to go into it, that it would come after that. And so Martin Luther King Jr. brought the same analogy to the struggle in the 60s, and I think it still matters today. Uh, And I hope that you hear as we watch this clip of him speaking, that you hear the certainty, the certainty in his voice that God is the one who will bring that kind of redemption. Now, I want to give an apology to our uh, live stream uh, congregation today. Uh, This is a video that we are not able to play the audio of on the live stream, so we're going to have to mute it. That's something we learned the hard way after first service. I hope you'll Google it later, though. If you uh, Google Martin Luther King Jr. mountaintop speech, you'll find it. For those of you in person, let's hear King's Certainty. Do you hear the certainty in his voice? He knows that God is going to bring good. He knows that we will get there because that's who God is. Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. And in the meantime, the prophets were just ordinary people who warned others that when they turned from God, from the way things are supposed to work, warned them about it, and then spoke of God's presence when the hard times actually came, And now it's our turn. Now it's your turn. The prophets speak into your hard time, reminding you that God is there and that this too shall pass in time. But they also call on you to be that presence of hope for others, for your family, for your co-workers, for your friends, and for the world. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for the certainty that we see in the prophets and in King. We thank you for the hope that you give to us, that conviction that you are bringing us to a future that is better than our present, both in good times and certainly in bad ones. Help us to see the glory of the coming of the Lord. Help us to be so sure of what you are doing, that indeed the hope spills over from us to everyone who is around us. May we be agents of hope in your world. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the one who showed us hope. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.